Welcome back to another episode of Am I Doing This Right? I'm Corinne Fox. And I'm Natalie McMillan. And we are best friends, confidants, millennials, and the hosts of Am I Doing This Right? A life how-to podcast from the perspective of Nuan experts. And each week we cover a new topic we open up a new bottle a of new wine. A new bottle of wine, yes. And this week, we're talking getting financially naked mm. with author wah, and personal wah, wah. finance expert, Erin Lowry, who, you, Natalie, you know I'm so yes. excited. She's really been like I've on been nervous. <laughs> yes, for like two days. She's like pacing around like, okay. So. <laughs> yes, we, we, we love Erin Lowry and you will, you will soon know why, but we're going to be talking about how to have awkward money conversations mm-hmm. with your partners, with your friends. Uh, what is the definition of being financially naked? and how to negotiate your salary, which a lot of big people one. have been asking us to do. Yes, big big buzz there. So it'll be really interesting to hear what she has to say. Yes, but Natalie, what are we drinking first? We're drinking the Brandborg. We love Brandborg. We love Brand. If you remember from one episode, <laughs> we gave it a full... 10 out. It was a Jude Law out of Jude Law. It was a Jude Law out of Jude Law. They're Riesling. So now we are trying their 2019 Scarlet Cuvée. Rosé of Pinot Noir. That was very fancy sounding. Cuvée. So let's do a little ASMR moment. Oh yeah, yeah. Why don't you give them a little pour? Give them a little little taste. (laughs) Wow. Ah. Mmm, so refreshing. Okay, now cheers from the other side of the table. Cheers to this. What have you been up to though? Oh, I, well, <laughs> I've been really excited because I feel like, you know, it's, it's, we're still in quarantine and yeah. I've, I've run out of, I've seen everything. I've seen every single <laughs> yes. TV show there is. And I was thinking, okay, like what have I not seen that people like love? And so I just started Arrested Development. My favorite. Which is your favorite. Yes. <laughs> and it's so, fuck, it is so fucking funny. It's like so I laugh out loud yes. by myself in my apartment. I laugh thinking about it like I laugh there's so many moments like Tobias moments or uh George Michael moments like that I just crack up yeah if you guys don't know Arrested Development is like this sitcom that was what in the 2000s it was like 2004 or 5 or something and the thing that's so interesting is that it it was it was a huge flop it was basically a flop they had three seasons i well here's the thing it had like a very cult following yeah but the the rest of america was like what like but here's the thing about arrested development that i've noticed and this is this isn't like to toot our own horns or anything but i have noticed that like very intelligent people find that show hilarious oh and people that don't find it hilarious i tend to be like the humor "Mm." can go over your head the humor can go right over your head yeah and then the other thing I love is that once you watch it you you start to like like I remember I saw somebody in a grocery store one time that had a Bluth's banana stand <laughs> shirt on and like you can joke with them because I don't know it's like one big inside joke that only not everybody has seen you yeah know what I mean? well I'm thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it like I look forward what to what was the last episode you watched the last episode I watched was Buster's mom the mom wanted Buster to like stop living with her so he lived with the family and he was oh and then oh what was it and then um george michael was in the play because he really wanted to kiss his cousin again <laughs> and maybe yeah maybe and um oh 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 job went to prison so that he could um escape from prison yeah. 
but then he couldn't. No touching. And then, he, but he couldn't poop out the um, key, so he was <laughs> stuck there. <laughs> also, the name Job. Job. What and is it's that? spelled like gob. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care for Job. Mom, I've Lucy. never heard that. Have name you in gotten my life. to Mother Boy yet? No. Lucille and oh my god. Oh yes, yes I have. Yes, I yes, Oh yes. my god. When Liza Minnelli, right? <laughs> Liza Minnelli. <laughs> If you're listening to this, you're probably so freaking lost. Like, what are you they talking about? You either lost, or if you watch it, you're laughing your ass yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the two. It's, it's very, it's yeah. one. It's one way or the other. So if you haven't watched it, though, and if you're listening to this podcast, I think you'd probably think it was funny. Yeah. So you should, it's on Netflix right now. Give I'm, it I'm having a blast. I, I'll watch the first three seasons, like, a million times. <laughs> a million times. Because it's just so funny. Oh, okay. Not well, to lose our listeners. Let's introduce our guest, Erin Lowry, before yes. we bring her on. Okay, so Erin is a millennial personal finance expert and the founder of BrokeMillennial.com. She's also the author of the book, Broke Millennial, How to Stop Scraping By and Get Your Financial Life Together, which we love and we reference all the time on this podcast. She's also the author of the book, Broke Millennial, How to Stop Scraping By buy and get your financial life together, which we love and we, we reference all the time on yes, the podcast. Constantly. But she she also has two other books, which are Broke Millennial Takes on Investing and her new book, Broke Millennial Talks Money. So let's welcome Erin so Lowry. Her. Okay. So Erin, I just want to tell you, <laughs> she's very, very excited. I am very excited to have you on the podcast. I know I sent you a DM like explaining to you how important your book Broke, Broke Millennial was to me, but like, I just have to tell you in person, it honestly changed my life. And then it changed my life. And then it changed Natalie's because life. She was like, you have to read this. You have to get into this. And oh, so you guys are going to make me tear up like right here at the jump. Is oh that my like bull? Are we like out here just trying to make <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it really was such an important milestone for us. Yeah. And also it really like financial literacy really is one of the basis, you know, of our podcast, yeah, of the whole podcast. And your book was really one of the things that kicked it we off. reference it all the time we like if you listen it. to our podcast we're like and so from broke millennial <laughs> da, 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 like we literally go through it and i know we have you have a new book broke millennial talks money yep Any so talks? that's book three book three. three and the second one is broke millennial takes on investing so after you get number one down time to level it up and yeah you, you do the we need to level stones. up now <laughs> so yeah what inspired you initially to write that first the first book, Broke Millennial. I'm going to start with, how old are you two? We're 27. Yeah, 27. Okay. So I don't feel super old. I'm 31. Okay. And we wanted to ask you how old you were, but then we were oh, like, I'll we, share. Can you do that now? <laughs> Listen, like I get that we're women and yada, yada, not supposed to say, it. I don't care. I'm 31 years old, staunchly in the middle of the millennial demographic. And yes. the reason I always ask age stuff is, I started in 2013 with a blog and it always makes me giggle now how that is just the most antiquated way to start anything. <laughs> now it's either podcast or YouTube show or I'm yeah. on TikTok or like whatever. Yes. <laughs> so I always feel ancient. I'll be like, well, it started as a blog. And that's the truth though. <laughs> They're like MySpace. <laughs> yeah. Like I was on that too, guys. I'm ancient. <laughs> and it was back in January of 2013. So just hit my eight year anniversary of quote unquote being broke millennial. And 
It's a very long Genesis story, so I will condense a bit and we can elaborate (laughs) where you'd like. But for me, a huge part of my journey is that my parents were very comfortable talking about money. Mm. And in a way where it wasn't a big stress trigger between them and the house, it wasn't a stressful scenario with us as kids. And not just because like, admittedly, we had a comfortable upbringing, but my dad grew up not in a comfortable financial situation. So it's something that he had worked towards himself, but also he clearly understood the value of explaining how money worked. And he only has daughters. It's me and my little sister. And I think there was also this underlying element of making sure that we were never, you know, like depending on a man as a financial plan. Yes. I joke that he's like (laughs) low-key a feminist. He just like won't call himself one. (laughs) You raised two like very feminist daughters. So like, let's call a spade a spade. And I realized when I graduated college and came into the quote unquote real world, Mm -hmm. how many people around me did not want to talk about money. And you know, what you grow up around is normal. Whatever your lived experience is, like you think that that's how the world works. And so I just thought people talked about money. I thought people knew how to budget. I moved to New York City working three jobs, made like $23,000, $24,000 my first year here. And I made it work because I understood with very meager means how to live within them. Yeah. And I had all these friends out here who were just either living on what I call parental welfare. So like mom and dad are footing the bill and then mom and dad have some level of control over your life. Or it was just very much like, I don't want to handle money. I don't know how money works. That is what was a light bulb moment for me. I was out with a girlfriend of mine. We had, you know, done the bar scene. It was like two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) We're in a cafe. We were 23 at the time. And I was having a chat with her and she goes, yeah, I just like really hate my job. We had met working as pages for the late show with David Letterman. And she had moved to New York, you know, classic story to want to act. And it was working as an executive assistant at a very well-known media company. I won't, I won't name names, but was not <laughs> enjoying her job. And so kind of nonchalantly, I was like, I, I mean, I got to ask, you're 23, you're not married, you don't have kids, you don't even have student loans. What, why aren't you like giving it a go? Like at least a year, just try right. and, and do what jobs you need to do to make ends meet, but give it a shot. Yeah. And she looks at me and she goes, you know, I don't know. Money really stresses me out. All I do is hope I have enough at the end of the month. Oh, been there. (laughs) Exactly. And anytime I tell that, people are always like, yeah, duh. (laughs) And that to me was shocking because I had grown up knowing how to talk about money, knowing how to handle my own ish, even when it was like not pretty. And so to think that here is this woman who comes from a fair amount of privilege as well, who is so intensely uncomfortable with money. How can I fix this? And that was sort of the first kernel of the idea. And then I just want, I missed writing and I wanted to write. So it was sort of this perfect blend of, all right, I'm going to start it as this blog where I'm just going to share stories about how I learned about money, how I'm figuring stuff out and we'll see what happens. And then it grew. And then I got a book deal. It sounds really fast. It wasn't that fast, (laughs) but things happen. Happened, and then, you know, books turned into three books and here we are. And here we are. Wow. That's, that's so, I mean, yeah, I think for me, money was something that like we didn't really talk about. And I think that's, is that, that's probably more normal. And so it's so cool that you had this upbringing and then you, you literally turned it into this like empire and you're, you're creating this financial literacy for everyone. But also what you're doing in your new book is teaching people how to have these conversations. Like Mm -hmm. you just even asking your friend and like, you know, pushing her um, to talk about, you know, her relationship with money is such a big deal because I don't really have those conversations Mm -hmm. ever. 
you know? And most people don't because the coded messaging we get sent from parents, from grandparents, from friends, from coworkers, basically everybody (laughs) in our life, it's rude. It's uncomfortable. It's taboo. It's inappropriate. You don't ask those questions. I will forever be confused why people are very comfortable at brunch being like, I did this XYZ sexual position last night. But if you say, (laughs) do you have credit card debt? They're like, "Uh, excuse you. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't really really add up. If we're comfortable sharing this area of our lives, we should be comfortable over here sharing the money area of our life too. Yeah, I guess it all comes down to just shame or whatever, just what you grew up with. Yeah. So that's so funny. So, so how would you say like in, in partnerships, but also in friendships or maybe even at work, like how do we initiate these types of conversations that we need to have? And like, which ones are, are the hardest you think to have? I got asked earlier, what's the easiest? And I am still <laughs> not sure. Yeah. Hardest. I feel whoever you most fear judgment from is the hardest. Mm. Might be friends, might be parents, might be romantic partner. Wherever your emotional trigger of judgment is like, yikes, if my parents say that I failed, Mm. that's going to be more impactful than if my friend makes a snide comment. Everybody's answer that's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. You didn't have to personally attack me there. And it is really important, though, to remember a couple of things about these conversations. One, anytime I talk about it, it often feels like people assume there will be just like a tidy resolution at the end of starting this conversation. No. Mm. If you somehow manage to have a full arc of this kind of conversation with a tidy resolution, wow, good for you. You are a unicorn. I would love to meet you. I literally do this professionally and rarely does it work out for me in my life like that. (laughs) So just keep in mind, this is a slow evolving conversation. You do not have to lay it all out on the very first convo. It can be weeks, months, years, even depending on what you're trying to get through. Now, when it comes to friends and romantic partners, I'll set those as two different conversations a bit, but both times ask yourself, what do you want? Like, what are you trying to get out of the conversation? And that informs the approach. So friends, oftentimes we're trying to set healthy boundaries with them. We love them. We want to have fun with them, but maybe lifestyles aren't quite the same anymore. Maybe the amount of money we're earning isn't the same anymore, or maybe we just value things differently now compared to what we valued in our teens, early twenties, and or lifestyle or life milestones might have happened. So getting married, having kids, buying a house, kind of all those Mm -hmm. traditional monikers. I remember when I was about, maybe like 27 was when my first friend had a kid, like my first close, close friend. And it was so bizarre to me all of a sudden, like, well, I can't go on these trips. I can't do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I mean, not only do I have an infant attached to me, but like we money's different now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being able to set boundaries in a healthy way. I'm going to use the very classic dinner bill, splitting it evenly oh. scenario mm. as the example here. One of the reframes I most love from the book was this woman named Melanie Lockhart who said, what you need to ask yourself when you get into the situation is I'm going to be embarrassed or am I going to be resentful? Which emotion is more toxic for me? Because those are sort of the two paths that you're confronted with. Mm -hmm. Am I going to advocate for myself and say, I cannot afford to spend $80 when I ordered a quesadilla? True true story. (laughs) Or am I going to do it 
worry about being able to pay the rest of my bills later this month and Loki resent my friends now mm-hmm. for potentially a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to make the choice. Yeah. And it's never easy. And it is an interesting point, you know, especially like in our age being 27. And as you mentioned, it is a very weird space where I have friends that are getting married. Some are pregnant. Some are like still We're right in that you in know, between trying to like do cocaine in a bathroom. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's like weird combinations and you're just like, where are things going <laughs> in my life? But it's so, it is so interesting to have all these different dynamics. And that is a many different financial pictures that you're dealing with in this kind of age group. So it's so important to to kind of talk about it. And it is so awkward sometimes. So awkward. It is. And you have to also be okay setting the healthy boundaries with your friends and being vulnerable with them. Like fundamentally, this is coming down to, you said it earlier, shame, judgment, which Mm -hmm. also ties into vulnerability. Can I be honest with my friend and say, hey, great that you picked going to Nobu for your birthday dinner, but I'm going to be honest, not in my budget. Like, Mm -hmm. are we comfortable saying that? You're a teacher. The rest of your friends are investment bankers, just using dramatic examples. (laughs) They might be able to ball hard like that. That doesn't mean that you can afford to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part to this is instead of waiting until you get to the inciting incident of the $80 quesadilla bill, (laughs) (laughs) it's putting down the boundary early. You've been invited to a birthday dinner. We all know what's going to happen. We all know how this is going to play out. So instead of waiting for the pain point, what if you're proactive and say, you're the birthday girl, you get to pick whatever restaurant you want. But I do have to tell you, I have a bit of a budget. So if you pick something that's not in my budget, I definitely want you to go and have a good time. How about later I take you to get you know drinks at our favorite cocktail bar or you come over and I make you dinner. We're also talking about a non-pandemic reality. I'm just yeah. yes. putting that out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Offering alternatives. The counter offer is one of the best things that you can do with friends is saying no, but then also providing a counter instead of just saying no and let it hang. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, and having a good group of friends is important here because you don't want to make, to, you don't want the other person to feel bad or like, oh, I should change it now. Yeah. Because truly, I think with your friends, you do want them to have the best day, go to the best place. And you want them to believe you when you say, (laughs) I'm on a budget, but let's do something else fun. Yep. And the other thing you can do is offer alternatives like, hey, definitely want you to go where you want to go. Little bit out of my price range right now. It also helps if you give a why. You don't have to share the amount of credit card debt you have or the, (laughs) the amount of student loan debt you have. But to say, I'm paying off student loans. I'm really trying to pay off one in the next six months. So I'm going to be honest, I just can't afford to do that exact thing right now. But what if I came and met you for dessert? Or what if I met you for a drink Mm -hmm. after? Mm -hmm. So you're still participating. It's just a negotiation, basically. You're having a compromise with your friend in the way that you're participating. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's such great advice for like friendships. Mm -hmm. But I want to move into partnerships because me and my boyfriend just started. We've been together for, we'll be two years in March. And we're just now like, inching towards these like very uncomfortable (laughs) money, you know, because you have to start figuring out, are we going to live together soon? Like, and so at what point in a relationship, you say this in your, in your book, Broke Millennial, but do you get financially naked with your partner? Like, when does that happen? Like when you talk about vulnerable. Yeah. Well, you got two levels. (laughs) You've got the 101 financially naked where you're just kind of getting context clues more than necessarily directly (laughs) asking questions. So, you know, what kind of gifts are we giving? What kind of dates are we going on? When we take trips, 
how are we getting there? Where are we going? What kind of hotels are we staying in? That all gives you information about one people's value sets Mm -hmm. and then how money interacts with those values. Now, the next step is full frontal financial nudity. To my favorite term. <laughs> and that is that needs to be achieved, in my opinion, when you look at this person and you think, I could marry you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily about to walk down the aisle. Doesn't even mean that you're necessarily about to get engaged. But if you look at them and think, yeah, this could be either a lifelong or a very long-term commitment that I'm going to make to this person. There's a future there. Yes. That's when you really need to bear it all. This is a classic example of not everything the very first time. It's okay to take it super, (laughs) super slow and let them know it's coming. Because that is a critical mistake I made when I tried to- Oh yeah, I can't blindside them. No, because I was very- That would be like a flasher moment. Very startling. (laughs) Very startling. You didn't ask to see that. Flasher in a trench coat. You're like, oh. (laughs) Get out of here. You want to create this as a space where they feel safe. They feel like they're being heard. Tell them that you want to have this conversation and give your why. I really want to have like a pretty in-depth financial conversation with you. I want to know about, list your things. Like I want to share whether we have any debt. I want to talk about our financial goals. I want to talk about investing. I want to talk about how we spend, what our lifestyle expectations Mm -hmm. are. It doesn't have to be like everything I just said on a checklist that you read off. You can pick one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. What's a good time to sit down and have this chat? Now there's conflicting advice out there about the how. Like I know people who actually go out to a restaurant in normal times, <laughs> go to a restaurant, have a glass of their favorite wine, have a favorite meal and have this chat. I'm more of the, let's do this at home with nobody else around because things can escalate. And I'm not trying to scare people, but this is a super emotional topic. And sometimes feelings get hurt. Tempers can flare. I don't love the idea of doing it in a public environment. If you think that there's any potential for conflict. Yeah. So I have a question speaking of conflict and the fact that tensions can be high. What would you suggest for somebody who like, let's say they're in two very different financial pictures and they want to have the conversation, but they don't want the person maybe making less money to feel, feel that shame and feel the emotion. Like how's a way to approach that in that kind of scenario? I love focusing on goals, goal setting as a way to lead into this conversation because it puts you to an alignment and you're thinking of yourselves as a team, Mm. as opposed to we're like pushing, pulling against each other. It's also a way to ask about debt without saying the D word. (laughs) So along the lines of what's a financial goal that you have in the next five years, partner tells you, and what's standing in your way of achieving that goal. Mm. You didn't ask them if they have student loans. (laughs) Hopefully it's about to come out if they have like my $400,000 of debt. (laughs) (laughs) And when I first brought this up with my now husband, it was along the lines of, Hey, how much student loan debt do you have? I knew he had it. It had come up. We met in college. But I just off the cuff was like, how much do you have? He was very startled. Like not, he wasn't mad, but he was just sort of taken aback. Yeah. It came out of nowhere. He also didn't know the answer off the top of his head because mm. he had just graduated college. Like he hadn't gotten into it. He hadn't told it all up, especially with interest. And then he didn't want to be in a position of having to guess and then tell me the wrong answer and then have to keep coming back and be like, it's 10,000 more. No, it's 10,000 more. It's 10,000 more. What if, What are some, because I know you say that you and your partner should have financial goals together, but what if you're not married? Like what, what are financial goals if you're not like a married couple or com- common ones, shared ones? 
I still feel that goal asking about goals is a good way to get started just because it's what do you want to achieve in the future that can be like, how do we figure out what I want to achieve, what you want to achieve and combine them. You still probably have some element of financial goals as a couple, if you're in a committed relationship, because that can also look like, Hey, we want to take this trip together. How much do we need to save in order to do that? Or, Hey, we're moving in together and we want to buy a couch. How much are we going to spend? And, you know, are we going to just pay for it outright? Are we going to save up over time? So finding those kind of little moments to have the conversations as well, saving up for an anniversary dinner, all of those little kind of things is a good way to get practice at goal setting together, get on the same page. I do not advocate for joint bank accounts though, until you are legally married. Yeah. And I say that just because let's just say you have a bad breakup. Mm. let's say you maybe did something you shouldn't have. They can go drain that account legally. Sayonara. (laughs) No recourse for you. You could take them to small claims court, but legally they didn't do anything wrong. It's a joint account with their name on it. They can go take the money. Now, if you're married and you're going through a divorce, there's a whole division of assets. You have to go through the court. So it's a very different thing. That's why until you're married, I really am not a huge fan of joint accounts with the exception of if you're living together, it's easier to streamline just for paying bills. Just put only the amount that you need to pay bills in there and don't commingle all of your assets together. That's really good information for me. Now I have a question that just came (laughs) off, came into my brain because I actually don't know the answer. I probably should, but also marriage is so far off my radar. When you get married, don't you don't you take on their debt as well? No. no? Great question. No. Ooh. Common assumption. Okay. And I, I feel it's a common assumption just because we think of married people as like an amorphous blob, including <laughs> their finances. <laughs> and you do not assume your partner's debt that they brought into a marriage unless you co-sign on it. Mm. Okay. So if you refinance the debt and you co-sign on it, then yes, that can legally become your responsibility. But my husband brought $50,000 of student loan debt into our marriage. That was not legally my responsibility if we were to get divorced before it got paid off. Okay. Okay. Because I don't know where I got the idea that there was some sort of, or like if they have bad credit, then it messes up your credit. No, unless they become an authorized user or unless they're responsible for paying bills. And let me, authorized user, like if you have a credit card and you get a credit card for them off of your good credit. Right. And they go out and charge up a ton of things and max it out and then don't pay it. That's going to hurt you. But if you have completely separate credit files and don't have shared assets yet, no, it won't mess with yours. But if you have a shared asset, like a house that you buy together and you take out a mortgage and someone doesn't make the mortgage payment, that's going to start impacting your credit. So if misbehaviors happen in the relationship, it does, but just getting married doesn't merge your financial lives into like one financial life. There is still separation. The other thing I will plug here, get a prenup. Yes. I saw that you, you said that you were talking to your now husband, like about a prenup, even before you guys were engaged. <laughs> yep. I was on that early. <laughs> I love that. I can love you that. explain actually for our listeners who don't know what a prenup is? Can you just briefly go over what that is? I feel like everybody has an idea. They think they know what it is because <laughs> of certain songs and movies and celebrity divorces, I guess. But a prenup is a prenuptial agreement that is essentially 
a divorce contract for lack of a better term, because it does stipulate in the case of the dissolution of your marriage, how assets and debts would get divided. I want to make a point, and that is everyone has a prenup. It is the default laws of your state. There is something in place that will determine how your marital assets and debts would get divided in the case of your divorce. It's your state laws. So technically that's your prenup. Your agreement is whatever the state you were married in says is fair. If you feel for your relationship and your ecosystem that you've created, that your state laws are like, eh, don't love that. (laughs) That's when a prenup can come into play. Obviously- There are all these crazy things that you hear about, like these lifestyle clauses of, you know, you get X amount of money if you have a boy or you can't gain X amount of weight or you have to do so many sexual favors. You'll hear stuff like that. And like, listen, that stuff voids a prenup so fast. Like that's, (laughs) do they exist? Are there like bonkers, wealthy people and celebrities who have like really intense prenup clauses like that? Okay, probably, but those are called lifestyle clauses and they usually can actually void a prenup. So you don't want to have that kind of stuff. You want it to be the, hey, I had $20,000, let's say, coming into this marriage and you have $50,000 of student loan debt. If we got divorced next year, your student loan debt remains your student loan debt. My money remains my money, but the money that we earn together gets divided 50-50. Yeah, that seems seems fair, yeah. Right. And usually when you think about a prenup, ideally you're creating it in a time when you're super in love, you're super (laughs) happy with each other. You're going to be generous and kind to each other. And also if things were to ever turn, if you were to ever get divorced, then you've already got this agreement made and you don't have to have a very expensive divorce can be really expensive. Mm -hmm. And people can also have, you know, you can get vindictive, you can get mad and instead just like clean it up and walk away. Do it while you're in a good headspace. Yes. A logical (laughs) headspace. And it's also great. One of my favorite things about prenups is you have to talk about all of your money stuff, including some like very out there hypothetical scenarios, but you're also disclosing every bit of debt, every investment. You talk about your goals. You talk about all of this stuff. What better way to go into a marriage than to have had these very frank money conversations and to know every little bit about the other person and where they stand financially. Mm -hmm. And if you're worried about something, student loans are a great example. My husband and I paid his off in about two years after we got married. And you read all these millennial horror stories like, I paid off my spouse's student loans and then they divorced me. And I always- Oh my God. (laughs) Google it. You'll find those stories. (laughs) And I always joke, we're like, I got a prenup. If he walks away because I paid them off, I still get mine because we accounted for it in the prenup. So don't worry about it. Just go get a prenup. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's also oh. not going anywhere, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I always talk about that where if something feels unsafe, uncomfortable, what have you, you should have love. You should have trust. Money should mm-hmm. not, hopefully should not be a major pain point, but it often is for people in relationships. However, A, people grow and change over time. So even if you're hearing me talk about this, you're like, I would never, ever leave my husband or wife, no matter what they did. I'm never Mm -hmm. walking out the door. That might be how you feel. And that's fine. That doesn't mean they won't leave you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You cannot control another human being. And the other thing is having these kind of conversations, having a prenup, it doesn't doom you to fail. It doesn't mean you don't love and trust your spouse. Think about our business lives. Would we ever be expected to sign a business contract without knowing 
the terms and conditions, what my salary is, what my benefits are. (laughs) And that this is a contract. You can only dissolve this by going to court. Yeah. This is a legally binding agreement. And so many people are being told, well, you just have to love and trust the person like that. Like that's it. Yes, of course Mm -hmm. you should love and trust the person, but you also should know the terms and conditions that you're signing up for. Yes, exactly. Well, actually speaking of contracts, something that we get asked a lot is, and right now, you know, we have a huge crisis with the pay between men and women, especially women of color. How do you think, what's a good way to approach talking about that with your employer? If you find out maybe you're making less than your your coworker or whatever, what would be a good way to kind of approach negotiating a salary? Great question. So this gets detailed a bit more in depth than <laughs> I'm going to have time to go in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Money. <laughs> Talking of both like racial and gender wage gaps in addition to just like, hey, I'm not getting paid enough. Mm-hmm. One of the keys, in my opinion, is not to go in guns blazing. You might feel a lot of rage mm. and probably rightfully so about whatever you unearthed. There's an example in my book of a woman who unearthed both a racial and gender wage gap for herself and like, yeah, was mad. So you have to think about what your options are. First, do you want to stay with that employer? Realistically, mm-hmm. it is not easy to make huge financial jumps at your current employer. And I'm not saying it's impossible. Like obviously people can get big raises, but to go in and try to t- negotiate in a way that's going to get you to close a pay gap like that is tough. So instead, it might make more sense to start looking around for another job. But now also mm. you now have information about what the market rate should be mm. truly. So that can be your base level as opposed to like your current anchor point. Do not tell people what your current salary is. That's a big thing. Sometimes and it's oh, when you're interviewing in some- for a new job, you mean? Yes. And it's illegal ah. in some cities and states. So first know the laws, but sometimes they'll ask you like, what are you making now? Uh-huh. Nope. Wait, how do you answer that though? If you don't want to give them, oh, you, you're ready. <laughs> the old politician pivot. You answer the question you want to answer, not the question you were asked. Oh, oh what I'd like to make. Yes. Uh-huh. So oh, what I'm interested in making is $120,000, whatever it Ooh, is. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's well, a really important thing. <laughs> yep. And that's helpful in pretty much all of those kind of scenarios. If you are really hopeful to stay with your current employer, and you think that this is an issue that needs to also be raised, it is appropriate to talk about it, to go in from the jump and say, I've been having some conversations and I want to discuss why I have noticed I am being paid less than, you know, people at my level. If you want to get explicit, you can say men. If you want to get more explicit, white men on this team. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious as to the reason, because I do feel like we're doing the same amount of work and we have the same title. Mm -hmm. So come in from a place of, assuming ignorance, not malice, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the why. It could be malice. I will. Of course it could be. But if you come in from that position, it gives you a better position of strength in having the conversation as opposed to how dare you, you owe me money because people just aren't going to respond to that. Because even when it comes to negotiating language, one of the examples I like is to not say I deserve and to not say I would like is to say I want. Mm. because I deserve sounds, especially for us women, it Mm. sounds too aggressive. Mm -hmm. It gets people defensive. Yes. Yeah. I would like is too wishy-washy. I want. And the negotiation expert recommended that people practice this in their real life. So like, I want you to take out the trash. (laughs) Whoa, I'm going to try that. (laughs) She jokes that her husband's like, I I know what you're doing. (laughs) I know what your job is. I know what you're doing. Well, wow. That was, that was, I feel like, we covered like friendships, 
partnerships and work. work. And honestly, I could talk to you all day, all day. Cause all me and Natalie do is talk about the things in your book. Yeah. So so thank you so much for, for giving us your time and, and for laying down these amazing, amazing principles for us to now go practice. I'm going to go have a conversation with uh, my boyfriend in a, after I read your book. Yeah. After I read yeah, your yeah, book. Yeah. <laughs> we got, we got to finish that, that next book. Yeah, but, we do. Yeah. But there are actual, <laughs> yeah, the actual scripts you can use. Oh, are, oh yeah. We need that. Helpful. Yep. So at and the we'll end link too. everything in the, in the show notes, to links to your books and everything. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I also love anytime I can go off about prenups for like five minutes. It makes I me very happy. I it. I'm ex- I'm like, I want to get married just so I can have this right, conversation. This, pre- right, this prenup. <laughs> have the conversation early. I will say that. You should not wait yeah. till the end. People and shouldn't the, feel pressured. You and don't want to do the flasher on them. You, nope. you want to ease in. Ease in and just make it clear too. It's for the, it's in their best interest. You want to make sure it's fair for both parties. Totally. We love it. And we love you, Erin. Thank you Thank so, you so much. so much. Have a great day. You too. I'm so happy we got to have Erin on. <laughs> She's so, also, she just makes everything make sense. She like, no, like we were throwing her questions and she was like, she would give us this little like, oh, please. Yeah. Like, let me tell you how to do this. Yes. And and she would do it in such a concise, clear, clear way. Clear, non-intimidating. And that's the whole thing about finance, I think, that we all need to work on is like, making it less intimidating. Yeah. Well, that's what she was saying when like she grew up just like talking about money. So it was yes. never this like weird, scary thing for her. Yeah. And which is why she's so good at what she does. Anyway, really? well, we, we, we hope that you guys feel more comfortable to have these money conversations with your partners, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your bosses. And we hope you feel inspired to check out Aaron's new book, Broke Millennial Talks Money. Yes. That's money. That's money. And she's got scripts. Oh, yeah. She's in the book. Scripts in like the book. she mentioned. And oh, so, I said I was going to have a conversation with Joe, and I'm going to maybe I'll have to read out of the script. Just pop, <laughs> pop that book right open. Take some notes. Okay. So wait, let's circle back. Wait, what are we drinking again, Nat? What, are we, what have we been drinking? Yes. We are drinking the uh, 2019 Brandborg Scarlet Cuvee. Whoa. Rose. Wow. Ricky Rose. <laughs> and you know what? I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Should we should we intro the Let's intro our hottie. Which Nat, you really I by the way, I've always loved this hottie of the week. She has always. She has. But I you recently have have been inspired by him. Well, you know what happened? I've always loved him. Right. And who hasn't? Who has <laughs> come on. But the other day I was watching uh God, which one? The wedding date. Love that movie. Heartbreaking at the end though. No. See, this is where you're getting confused. That's my best friend's wedding. Which he's in, in the, both. And they're, bo- they're both in both, right? No. Oh, who's the one in the wedding? Deborah Messing is the one in The Wedding Date. Julia Roberts is in My Best Friend's Wedding, which oh. did I watch that last night? Yes, I did. <laughs> and it is always a really devastating ending. So Okay, anyways, but, but the hottie Anyways, is. the hottie's Dermot Mulroney, who... <sighs> I don't know. I'm just having a moment with him. Isn't there's always Dermot Mulroney and like Dylan, Dylan McDermott. McDermott. <laughs> or you're like, wait, am I talking about the right one? But yeah, no. Oh, he's Dermot got that little that little scar the above scar? his lip that it's just like it kind of pulls it up a little, and you're just like, really? Because he's got the he's uh, he's sexy, so sexy, straight up sexy. But he's also like bad boy energy, but also like little sweetheart energy. Yeah, he's. 
Oh, wow. Hot and bothered. Hot and bothered. bothered (laughs) Over here. Over here. Okay, so let's let's rate this uh, rosé. To Dermot Mulroney. Here's the other thing. I don't love rosés. I know. We say that all the time. We say that all the time, but I could honestly drink this, like, a lot. Okay. What are you going to rate it? One to Dermot. DM. The OG DM. The OG DM. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I was going to say an eight. So that's an 8.25. 8.25. Is that the right, is that the correct math? You know, I don't know. You cannot ask We're going to guess. 8.25 feels right. Dermot Mulroney is so goddamn sexy. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to be up against It's hard to be up against. But we like it. But I really, I do like it. We will link this wine in the show notes if you want to give it a swirl. I'll give whirl. it a swirl. <laughs> hey. Okay, so this is the part of the episode where we play a little wrap-up game just to decompress. Yes. And Nat, we're playing one of your favorites, I feel like. This is my favorite because you know I love random trivia. You love random trivia. And my brain just collects trivia. Yeah, you know all this stuff off the top of your head. I yes. have to actually Google it because I, I don't know any facts. I can't even remember what I did yesterday, <laughs> let alone a fact. <laughs> I love fun facts. So tell me your trivia, and then that will give me a, a framework as to what direction I should go in. Because I have plenty, as you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here's my here's my little fact, which okay. is honestly surprising, and I can't explain it further. Hmm. Okay. If you drive south from Detroit, you'll hit Canada. What? Hey, I Googled <laughs> it. There's no more information than that. But if you if you drive south from Detroit... You'll hit Canada. And if you head north from Windsor, Ontario, and you cross the the Detroit River, you'll be in the U.S. So I guess Ontario must be south of Detroit. How that's possible? Couldn't tell you. I feel like we're being bamboozled. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, This is is on goodhousekeeping.com. Oh, see, they're they're fairly reliable. Yeah. I think think it's it's a true fact. What? I blow, blew my mind. This is just, I feel like we're in a simulation. How does that possibly work? I think it might dip. Like where there's, I think it might, like it might dip in. Go south from Detroit. Here we go. It says, almost all of Canada is located north of the U.S. But however, you, oh, in the lower the- 48, however, you can drive to Ontario, Canada by driving due south from Detroit. Dude, I don't understand it. That's I, we'd wild. probably have to look at a map. If we looked at a map, I, feel like I think if, yeah. We would but I understand. get what you mean by like maybe it dips in. Yeah, and then maybe like it's here, and then like you know what I mean. I know nothing about Canada, honestly, other than our future. Well, baby you know daddy. our our education system failed us Trudeau. on geography. True, very true. Okay, so hmm, what should my direction be? I think because that was fairly random. Absolutely random. This is pretty random, but this fascinates me. Okay. It is estimated that... Stop. Can I guess? Is this about aliens or um, ancient history? No, but you know I've got those too. Okay, go. <laughs> this is about squirrels, my friend. This is about squirrels. It is <gasps> estimated that millions of trees every year 
are planted because squirrels bury nuts and forget where they put them. Oh, I, I did see this on TikTok. I saw this on TikTok. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so funny. I've never seen that on TikTok. Wow. But isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like the reason I love that, that plants, that, that trees and they oxygenate our atmosphere is because of dumb squirrels. I'm so glad. You, I don't like, okay. I don't like squirrels. I have a whole personal history with them that, that goes back to my elementary school. They used to unzip my lunch pail and eat my lunch. What? So I have this thing against squirrels, and this does make me feel better about them. Oh, I had a pet squirrel when I was little. What? Yes. You found like an injured one? and then Yeah. yeah. Well, what happened was um, this huge oak tree. This is a conversation for another day, but you know how I almost died via oak tree? Yeah, yeah, I know that. So a squirrel... Mm-hmm was in the wreckage Mm. and we like raised him as a pet and then we gave him to animal control so (laughs) yeah that's gonna be a no-go for me but he was cute it was cute to have a squirrel for a little bit but yeah they're the reason a lot of trees exist so that's a fun fact i love it for your tuesday it's fun and it really changed my perspective on squirrels because not gonna lie they're eco-friendly kings yeah i have a little grudge against them yeah well hey ate my lunchables (laughs) Upset. Still upset. (laughs) Upset. Okay. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. With another episode. And if you've got questions, DM us at Am I Doing This Right Pod. Email us, Am I Doing This Right Pod at gmail.com. And, of course, our beloved website. Am I doing this right? Pod dot quam. Dot quam. And rate and review the podcast. Share with a friend. It really helps us grow. Helps us grow. And we love you so much. And we love you so much.